What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Thursday, October 13th. We are back today to give you some college football insight for this weekend because it is, oh my gosh, is it a crazy weekend in college football? Matt will actually tell you how crazy it is of a college football weekend when we get to the topic, but We've also got an NFL topic following that college football topic. And then at the end, we've got some ESPN notification nonsense because it's been a little it's been a little bit since we've had an ESPN notification nonsense segment. And in case you guys don't know what that is, it's a fun segment. So when we get to it, you're going to laugh. There's one thing that I want to say, and it is I don't know if you guys can hear it in the background, but there is a house that is across the street from me and there's a bunch of guys that live in there and they're in a band or they have a band together and they're, they play outside on their back porch every uh, probably every other day or something like that. And it's always around like 7 PM. So you can imagine on a Tuesday night when you're a college student and trying to do homework, they're just playing away. And it's really loud because the insulation in my apartment, I guess is not that good. And I don't know the the sound just gets through my window, I guess pretty easily, but yeah, that's what I'm listening to right now. I'm involuntarily listening to bad band music. How does that sound, Matt? Sounds like uh, you're going to college because that's what college is. So, yeah, you know, sure. to some extent, you can't really complain because it's kind of like what you asked for by going there in the first place. But I feel your pain. The, the whole weeknight thing is a little tough. You know, it's a Thursday night right now. We're recording Thursday nights in college. That's basically a weekend night. So right, yeah. I can understand a Thursday, a Thursday evening soiree. Uh, but but any other weeknight is, is a little maybe a little bit overboard. But hey, you, you got to give credit. Just like we're grinding on the podcast. Those guys are grinding with their music and their band. So I got to respect at the end of the day. Yeah, they will see they're practicing. So what they do is they'll start playing a song and then they'll screw up or not really screw up but then they'll just stop and then start over that song again and they play the same songs over and over again so they're practicing and then i guess they perform for frat parties and stuff like that i don't know it's it's kind of confusing but yeah uh anything else anything else matt going on in the in the matt vozar world right now just kind of the same back and forth. If you guys don't know, I live in Fredericksburg, Virginia, but I work in Richmond, Virginia, which is an hour apart. Uh, my family is from Richmond. My wife works in Richmond. So for the most part, we're kind of just sleeping here sometimes. The rest of the nights of the week, we sleep at my parents' house and her parents' house. And so there's a lot of a lot of back and forth, kind of living out of a suitcase for the better part of a year here now. Uh, and as such i'm basically every time i record the podcast i'm usually at like a different place uh different room different house different setting but that keeps it that keeps it keeps the people guessing right you never know where i'm at right. but i'm i'm still going to provide the content to you so that's really what all that matters uh but other than that i don't think people really want to hear about my driving habits uh so so let's just, they they want to hear about college football though so let's do that all right let's move into college football so ladies and gentlemen we have to start this show with college football. We usually start it with NFL and then go into college football just because that's what people want to hear. But this episode deserves to have college football first because it is such a great weekend in college football. Let me tell you, this is the best of the best. Matt, do you want to do you, do you want to tell them how how good we're getting this weekend on Saturday? I would love to. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around the campfire because this is the best of the best. It's as good as it gets. It's what we've been, what we've waited all year for. This is the best weekend in the entire college football season. You might be thinking, well, 
yeah, but isn't there like conference championships and the playoff and everything? Yes, yes, that comes down the road, but that's only like one or two games on the schedule, all right? We have essentially all 130 FBS college football teams playing this weekend, and the stature on the importance and the magnitude of these games, the bigger games, obviously on the schedule, are the crazy part and such the, the exciting part of what this weekend is going to bring us. Technically, it's the best week of college football in 40 years, statistically. The reason for that is because the last time that we had three matchups, which include f- teams that are all 5-0 and or better, last time that that happened was 1985. This is 2022, okay? In 1985, obviously, there's, you know, there's less teams, there's it's it's less important. The rankings were kind of whatever. Uh, UVA was actually one of those teams that was ranked and above five and zero in, in one of those matchups. So that just shows you how long it's been since this was a thing. That that says a lot about it because and we won't really talk about much about UVA and you guys probably won't hear much about UVA for the rest of the season. But that's all right. Yeah, we can just move past that like it didn't happen. Yeah, but just more explaining the magnitude of this is how long it's been since something like this. This great of a weekend in college football has has been a thing. So we had those three matchups between, you know, in which all six teams are at least 5-0 and or better. There's three other matchups that are playing, that are being played uh, between teams who are ranked. So in total, there's six games in which both of the teams playing in those games are ranked. Three of them include teams, all of which are undefeated up to this point. And, and you got to think about it. I mean, this is week seven in college football. We're halfway through the season. And there's this many teams that are still undefeated playing this weekend, all of them kind of on the same day and, and at different times throughout the day. And that's why it's just going to be the best. So kind of what we're going to do is obviously there's kind of six games in this whole package of, of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to obviously, we're going to go a little bit more in depth. We're going to preview all of them. Okay. We're going to go a little bit more in depth about the big three and we'll kind of, you know, lay out the teams, who they are, who, you know, how we think the games will go, who we think, you know, who we think will win, what that, you know, kind of the, the outcomes of the games could have, you know, the implications that it could have in, in impact and everything on the col- their, their conference championship races, as well as the college football playoff as we go, you know, as we go forward. And then, uh, you know, we'll kind of get to the other three matchups and as, as kind of briefly take a look at them, uh, you know, with those other three ranked matchups. So, I mean, without, we, you know, we already we already previewed it enough. I mean, we already we already we already hyped it up enough. So, Hayden, why don't you take one of those games and we, and we can kind of just list them off as we go? Yeah. Okay. So the first one that everybody probably wants to hear about most is this Alabama Tennessee game. Now, last episode we kind of referenced it a little bit in our college football talk, but we didn't preview it much and we didn't really go in depth with it. Now, I think I also think that Matt, I think you said that it's in it's in Tuscaloosa. It's actually in Tennessee. It's Alabama at Tennessee. Yeah, I might yeah. have misspoke, but I that's I I knew it was, but sure, I say a lot of yeah. words, and so I very well could have misspoke there. Yeah, well, I'm I'm just saying because it's I feel like that's kind of cru- well, it, it, it is yes, crucial. It, it, it of, has a big impact on the yeah. everything that's going to happen in the game. Yeah, yeah, because when you said that they, they that they were playing Tuscaloosa, you said that you know like Tennessee's going to have a really hard time going to Tuscaloosa. Even if Bryce Young isn't playing, they're going to have a tough time going there and beating, which I, which I would agree. But I think, I mean, Bryce Young, I think he is going to play. I've, I've read up on it a little bit and I, and people think that he's going to play just because they are playing Tennessee. And this is a really important game because if they lose this game, then that has a lot of implications on the SEC championship and obviously the playoff and everything like that. So I do think that Bryce Young, Bryce Young is going to play. And I don't know, dude, like Hendon Hooker 
Hendon Hooker, I think right now is is leading the Heisman race or something like that. He's he's either one or two. He might be. I think he might be two. He's, he's two behind C.J. Stroud, but that's just yeah. because C.J. Stroud has put up the most numbers and is on the highest ranked team. And the team yeah. is Ohio State's actually now favored to win the championship. In case you guys didn't know, so the quarterback of the team that's probably going to favor to win the championship is probably also favored to win the Heisman. But exactly, no people, nobody's thinking like Hendon Hooker is out of here, out of here like second in the Heisman race. But it's a very real concept. Yeah, he's thrown zero picks on the season through six games or five games or whatever it is. That's crazy. So, yeah, which is yeah, it's just absolutely nuts. Which that's definitely helping his his Heisman rating. But yeah, I, I mean, both of these offenses are just really, really good. And I don't really know much about uh Tennessee's defense, but yeah, really the only thing that worries me is their ability to stop Alabama because if Bryce Young does play, Bryce Young watching Bryce Young play football is like watching poetry on a football field like he he's just he's so honestly he reminds me the way he plays and the way he moves and runs the ball and everything reminds me a lot of Jalen Hurts and Jalen Hurts played at Alabama at the beginning of his college career and it's it's just so reminiscent of him and I think that's why I like watching Bryce Young so much because you guys know that Jalen Hurts is one of my favorite well he's my favorite college player of all time one of my favorite NFL players so yeah my my only worry is is being able to stop Jalen I mean um as is being able to stop Bryce Hurt, uh, Bryce Young and, and Jameer Gibbs. He's now like going crazy. Beginning of the year wasn't too good for Jameer Gibbs. I don't remember him doing much. He was very hyped up coming into the season. And then I didn't really see much from him the first few games. Maybe that was just because of the parts of their games that I watched. But yeah, the past couple of games, he's just been going crazy. And he, I mean, he's a freight train and, and typical Alabama, Alabama running back. So yeah. And the, Alabama defensive line and the defensive front and everything, then being able to get to Hendon, Hendon Hooker will also be key, obviously, because, right, if you if you pressure him, he's, he may throw a pick here and there, but he hasn't thrown a pick this season. So it's like it's one of those things where I can't I can't say that I can see Alabama stopping Tennessee because Tennessee hasn't really been stopped this whole season. Like they've, you know, like Hendon Hooker ba- has barely made any mistakes this season. And so I can't I can't even see that happening because it hasn't happened yet. I've seen, you know, Bryce Young get hurt, unfortunately. I've seen Bryce Young make a couple of mistakes in that in that Texas game, but they still won that. I mean, they they probably would have lost if um if they well, they if they would have lost, it would have been because of penalties, not because of Bryce Young. But I feel like I feel like Hendon Hooker's played a, a better season so far than Bryce Young has. And if we do see Bryce Young back in this game, he could still be a little bit banged up. And so that's kind of that's kind of what I'm looking for is like if Bryce Young looks completely healthy and if Alabama's defense can actually stop Hendon Hooker, because I think a lot of people are going to sit there and say, well, yeah, of course they can, but it's like not so fast. Hendon Hooker has played some very good SEC defenses so far and hasn't thrown a pick yet and has solidified himself as, as second in the Heisman race so far. So that's my take on this game. Matt, what about you? It's funny because as the resident betting expert on the first down rundown podcast, you can usually look at the betting lines to determine what people are thinking, what Vegas is thinking about injury concerns and everything like that. Alabama's favored by seven points, seven and a half points somewhere. It depends on where you're looking. Alabama would not be a seven and a half point favorite if Bryce Young was not playing. Okay. If they were using the backup, Jalen Milrow, uh, they, it would probably be even maybe, a you know, Alabama may be favored by one, maybe even Tennessee would be favored, right? Because at, at that point, Bryce Young is, is worth so much to this team that they basically just get an extra touchdown of, you know, of, of credit, which is crazy to say, but you know, right. He, he's the team. So th- I think that's what we're looking at right now. And Hayden, I was key in pointing it out too. 
yes, he 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 will probably play. It's the biggest game of the season so far. Alabama needs to win this game. Tennessee also needs to win this game. And so if you you know have that, all the players that are that are going to be hurt are probably going to be playing. But he's not going to be 100. percent I mean, he he essentially had, and if you didn't see it, it was he injured his shoulder in the game against Arkansas when he was going to the ground and he tried to kind of you know jet the ball Swing out. It. Yeah, exactly. Right. And he like basically separated his shoulder and and it wasn't like super bad, but something that, you know, you definitely want to, you definitely want to make sure that you have some time off to be able to, to rehab that thing. And, and so now he's going to be back and right. It's who knows if he's a hundred percent, but it's like just him being there, his mobility, his ability to like Hayden said, just be cool, calm, collected in the pocket, make the right plays, make the right decisions. That means so much to this Alabama team. Hayden also mentioned Tennessee's offense and how you know prolific they've been and I I completely agree with everything on you know on that end defensively they are better than they were last year Tennessee is but but they're not they're not where Alabama is obviously right and then that's kind of I think where the real test is going to be is will Alabama be able to stop this Tennessee offense or will the Tennessee offense just put it to Alabama and say hey we're here to play and this is just going to be a shootout and it's going to come down to the wire at the end of the day a good another good kind of thing to point out when it when it's as as it's related to the betting lines and everything like that is before the season, a lot of times sports folks will put out um, game lines for specific games prior to when the season starts, the line or the spread for this game before the season started was Alabama minus 14 and a half. So the spread has essentially gone down an entire touchdown based on how Tennessee has performed so far this year, which is, I mean, it's a pretty significant drop off, right? But if you think about it and Hayden also kind of pointed out, neither of these teams have, have played amazing opponents. I would argue that Tennessee probably has the better strength of schedule up until this point, because they played a ranked Florida team. They played a ranked Pittsburgh team. They played a ranked LSU team and they beat them all. And they beat them all pretty, you know, pretty handily. Well, I guess Pitt Pitt was in overtime, but that was at Pitt, Florida, you know, came back with Tennessee was up by a lot, you know, for, for most of that game. The only difference is all those teams that I mentioned were ranked wins are not long, are no longer ranked yeah, and, exactly. and and are kind of looking really bad. I mean, Pittsburgh lost to Georgia Tech and 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 you know Florida LSU. They actually play this this week, but it's basically like whoever wins that game has a chance of going six and six. Maybe other than that, you know, it, it's kind of done for. So as you kind of look at it now, it's like okay, well, the, the strength schedule has been kind of the same, and, and obviously they perform very well, but. I think it's just it's, it's going to be a great game. I think the key to it, though, is going to be who starts out first and who starts out fast, because that's really I mean, that's mostly, you know, in college football this, these days is like, you know, if, if you if you start out hot, you know, you, there's a good chance that you'll stay ahead. But in a lot of cases, we've seen, you know, teams that get out to an early lead, they just kind of coast and they give it up and then the other team comes back and, and wins. But with such a, a pressure filled game and an environment that'll, you know, that'll be crazy in Knoxville, Tennessee for this game, it's going to depend on who's able to get out to a good start. Because if, if, if you, if you just see Alabama go up 14, nothing, you know that they're not going to lose that game. Right. So, and vice versa, if Tennessee gets a good start, you know, the Alabama might be able to come back, but it'll be a little bit tougher for them to come back from being down, you know, seven or 10 points than it will be if they just start out being up seven or 14 points. So that's how it's going to, that, that's, what's going to matter. It's, it's how this game starts. If Alabama gets out to a, you know, an early lead, it's, 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 you know, like I said, it's, it's kind of going to be over with. So in my prediction, I think Alabama will win. I think Alabama will cover the spread. I think that a lot of people, and it's funny too, because looking at kind of the, who's been betting on what at Tennessee, everybody's just, everybody's betting on Tennessee. Everybody thinks Tennessee's going to win the game. They're, you know, oh, they're six and oh, they're all hyped up. They're number six in the country. They're going up against Alabama. They're at home. All these things, all these things, you know, are, are, are kind of moving in Tennessee's favor, but 
What do we always see in a, a spot like this in a time like this when Alabama goes into a, an opponent's territory who is, you know, getting all hyped up and everybody thinks they can beat Alabama? Alabama usually beats the crap out of those teams. All right. So I think that's probably going to happen in this case. It may be close. Tennessee, I hope Tennessee wins, right? That's kind of my theory on this stuff is I'm going to be rooting for Tennessee. But if, you know, just pragmatically speaking, I think Alabama is going to win this game by a lot of points just because Nick Saban knows how to do this. He's been here and done this however many times. I think they beat Tennessee the last 15 times they've played. All right. So I think if that's any, if that's any indication of how, you know, and obviously Tennessee has been, you know, one of, this is one of the better teams they've had in that span, but I still think Alabama probably will, will take this one pretty handily. The next game on the schedule. Well, not next, because we're kind of just going in, in kind of, more like ratings wise, not chronologically for when they're playing the Alabama games at three 30, by the way, this game is at 12 noon, right? When you're kind of waking up and, and getting ready to watch football, it's Penn state and Michigan, Michigan's number five in the country. Penn state is number 10. Both of them obviously are undefeated as well. This is going to be a very interesting game. Michigan is favored by seven points. So basically the same exact situation as Alabama, but I'm, I say no, no, because at this point, we're looking at a team in Michigan who has played the three, probably the three worst teams in college football so far. UConn, Hawaii, and New Mexico State are all, or no, yeah, UConn, yeah. Those are the, arguably the three worst teams in college football right now. And and they played them and they beat them all like 55 to nothing. But like most teams, a lot of teams in the country would be able to beat them, you know, teams like that, 55 to nothing. The only two conference games that Michigan has played is against Iowa and Indiana, well, actually, no, Iowa, Indiana, and Maryland. So they've kind of at least had some sort of conference play going on here. They struggled at Maryland. They only beat Maryland by seven points, and they were 17-point favorites. Iowa, I think they beat by, you know, 13 or 16 or whatever. But as I mentioned in the last podcast, in the Broncos, uh, the Broncos country fun segment, Iowa's offense is, is absolutely putrid, all right? So you would expect Michigan to be getting something done there. And they played Indiana last week and they just, they just looked mediocre. They, it was tied 10 to 10 at halftime. And again, Michigan state and Michigan is favored by 24 points in this game. So you're thinking they have a lot of hype coming to the season. We talked about them prior to the season. Hayden was, you know, was in on early on JJ McCarthy, their new quarterback. He just hasn't really performed yet. Uh, it, he hasn't made the plays that we were thinking is going to make his throws are looking a little bit, you know, he, he's not as accurate as he may, as, as we may have thought as well. So it's just kind of like a little bit underwhelming so far what we've seen from Michigan. But as we know, Michigan and John Harbaugh, they got to the playoff last year. They're, you know, he's really building this program up and they are a, a very, you know, one of the best programs in college football and they're at home, which is the biggest football stadium in the country. Actually in the world, I think is, is Michigan football stadium is the biggest in the world. There's like 110,000 people that are going to be there. It's, it's ridiculous. It's insane. A lot of the bigger college football stadiums are bigger than NFL stadiums. So, um, this the home field advantage for Michigan is going to be crazy in this game. And then on the other side, you have Penn State, who has also has some really good wins, right? So in their first game, they went to Purdue and they beat Purdue like on kind of on a last second, you know, last second field goal or, or touchdown or whatever it was. Purdue is now five and one. And so it was like ever since then, Purdue looks like, so that's clearly a good win for Penn State because Purdue is now, you know, established itself as a really good team. Penn State has also went went to Auburn and beat Auburn, I think 41 to 13 or something like that, just crushed them. Now, obviously, Auburn, since then we've seen isn't the caliber of Auburn that we're normally used to, uh, but Still going into Auburn and winning by, you know, almost 30 points. That's a really good win for a Penn State team who, you know, I think is getting a little bit underrated coming into this game, at least from what they've done this season, which has been, you know, they've had a really good resume, I think. So it kind of all in all, in, in my synopsis of the game, I think that it's going to be, it's going to be low scoring. It's going to be a typical, you know, your typical big 10 game where, you know, both teams are just going to want to run the ball and punt and 
first to 20 wins, right? So so we'll kind of see how it goes in, in terms of that. But I, I don't know. I think that just based on the way I've seen these two teams play, like obviously Michigan is favored to win this game and by a, by a good enough margin. But I'm coming to this game thinking, I don't know where Michigan's going to get all those points from, you know? And it's and I haven't seen it really been produced in games that have mattered against other quality teams so far this season for Michigan, whereas Penn State has, has really showed me stuff. So I'm going to pick Penn State to win the game. I think it's going to be very close, like very close. Uh, and, and if Michigan wins, it'll be, you know, kind of decided in the last few minutes. I think I, I definitely don't see them running away with this game. I don't see it being a blowout. Uh, whereas obviously like, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, Alabama has the potential to blow out Tennessee, I feel like, but not in this game. I think that Penn State will keep this close and, and I'm going to pick them to get the win uh, as an upset pick here in the, in the, you know, the, the five versus 10 matchup in the, in the, in the big 10. I'd have to agree on that with you, Matt, because yeah, I think I think that Penn State has a has a real chance of doing it. Again, I think that seven point spread is is helped a lot by the game being in Michigan. And right, I mean that, that gives Michigan a huge advantage. But I think I, I think Matt Matt's analysis of who's who Michigan has played so far and how they just haven't played really any competition at all. That I mean that matters. Like you you've got to think of it because right, the first big game of the year for a lot of teams goes shake shaky like it doesn't really it doesn't really go their way and I think that John Harbaugh I don't know it's like last year John Harbaugh and this Michigan team was really really good they were clicking on all cylinders and just right everything was working but the five years before that when John, John Harbaugh was there they, I mean they would have recruits but they just wouldn't be able to do anything they were just really bad and I, they, they probably had a better recruiting class this year and obviously they have a better team this year than they've had those kind of down years before last year but I don't know. I, I, there's something inside of me that just is kind of like, I can't really see Michigan doing even near what they did last year. I don't, I'm not saying that, that Michigan's going to go six and six, but because I mean, cause they're still undefeated, obviously they've won six games, so they would have to lose the rest of their games. But I'm all, I also don't really see them going like any better than 10 and two really. I mean, I, I think that they're probably going to fall off to teams like Penn state that are right. They should probably still beat them at home. But Penn State is a really good team. Penn State defends the run really well. And Michigan, their run game is, is really the start of their offense. Matt, Like Matt said, J.J. McCarthy, who is the starting quarterback now, and they're not running that two-quarterback system with J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara. I think McNamara is just the, the plain backup now. But, right, J.J. McCarthy, he's the reason why he wasn't the starter before and the reason why he was sharing the, the backfield with Cade McNamara is because McNamara is the more accurate thrower. He's the better thrower, the better game manager, but JJ McCarthy is just a more athletic guy. And in college, the more athletic guy usually wins the QB starting job. So we saw that happen, but he just hasn't really been able to get it done in the passing game. The running game is, is really, really good. I mean, Blake Corum is their running back. He's been had, I mean, he's had a couple like Heisman esque performances this season, but again, it's, it's because they've been playing really bad teams. Like, Hawaii and Yukon. So once we see this Michigan running game go up against Penn state, I don't know how, how it's going to really turn out. I think Penn state's running game or run defense is probably the strong suit of their defense. And so when a strong run defense meets strong running game, well, first of all, that just creates pretty boring football in most cases, because it's just like one or two yard runs. But I think that Michigan in order to win this game is probably going to have to go to the pass game make JJ McCarthy make some plays and use his legs if he has to, but back him up to pass and don't just hand it off to Blake Corum the whole game because it's going to end up in one of those like really low scoring big 10 games like we've seen in the past. 
And like Michigan has been a part of in the past, they're not really that team anymore. They're, they're that team that scores a lot of points. That's, that's who they were last year. And so in order to replicate that this year, I think they, they need to just really go after scoring points because if they, if they don't, they're not going to beat this Penn state team. And they're, they're not going to even really have a chance against, against this Penn state team because Penn state's offense is also really good. Sean Clifford is their quarterback and he's been playing there for 5 million years. So he knows how to get it done in these kinds of games. He knows what it's like. I mean, he knows what's what it's like to play in Michigan. He knows what it's like to be down in the game and come back. I think he's, I think he's had like some of, I mean, as of now, as of all the quarterbacks that are playing in college football right now, I think he has maybe the most like game winning drives that a, that a college quarterback has currently throughout his whole career. So, uh, so, I mean, he, he knows how to, how to kind of win a game by the skin of his teeth and we might see that happen on Saturday, but yeah, I, th- I think that in order to win this game, this game and prove to people that Michigan is the team that they were last year, they need to get that passing game going because running the ball against this Penn State defense isn't, isn't going to work. So the last game of uh, undefeated teams, well, the last of the three games between undefeated teams is a, is from the Big 12. It's TCU and Oklahoma State. It's played at TCU. TCU is a four-point favorite. So, and I think rightly so, maybe to some people's surprise, because this is another situation where, you know, Oklahoma State is number eight in the country. They've been, they've been in the top 10 for, I think, the whole year. TCU is number 13. They started the season unranked, and they've kind of just moved their way up, obviously, from, you know, kind of winning all these big games. And, and that's kind of the story of this game is TCU's kind of come out of nowhere, but they've looked so good. They lead the country in yards per play. 8.3 I think yards per play like imagine if you're just playing football I mean that's Madden stuff like every time that you press the a button you're gonna get eight points on average like come on that's that's real life TCU right now so and you're going up against a team in Oklahoma State who has been known for their defense especially in past years because their defensive coordinator's name was Jim Knowles Jim Knowles however after last season went to Ohio State to be their defensive coordinator and he's doing a pretty good job as of now because we see that Ohio State has basically won every game by 40 something points. So Oklahoma state doesn't have their defensive coordinator anymore. They bring in a guy named Derek Mason, who has been a defensive coordinator for a thousand years at other places and whatever, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit different this year. They're they're allowing a little bit more points, but they're also scoring more points than we saw them score last year as well. So they're kind of, they've kind of let up a little bit on the defensive end, but really proved a lot more on the offensive end as Oklahoma state. And so then you run into this situation where you're, you know, you're kind of looking at TCU and Sonny Dykes is their head coach. He's actually, actually his first year as head coach of TCU and he runs the air raid offense and that 8.3 yards per play is exactly what he optimizes his, you know, his, his, his systems to be. And so when you kind of have that going for you, you don't really need to focus on defense too much. And obviously it's the big 12 too. And big 12 is, you know, known for scoring and, and not much defense. And so kind of in a shootout like aspect like this, it's going to come down to, I think really who's able to score more points consistently. Okay, because we see that TCU's offense is off the charts. We see that Oklahoma State, despite their defense being off the charts in previous years, has let up a little bit, but still has, I would argue, a much better defense than TCU does. But on the offensive end as well, Oklahoma State has has been looking good, too. So you're thinking at this point, you know, this is a really evenly, you know, well, more evenly matched kind of matchup uh, or face off between these teams than say the previous two games that we discussed. However, it's also the smallest spread. And so that's where kind of you get into the sense of like okay yeah this is going to be a really close game and it's kind of just okay tcu has the home field advantage so tcu we're going to favor you know tcu in the, in the in this game and i like that i think tcu is is 
kind of they just have everything that's that's kind of come together for them um their quarterback's name is max duggan and he's a really interesting story because he actually played he's been playing i think for now three years or so but they had a guy transfer in named chandler morris and he actually chance chandler morris started the year for this tcu team I, I don't know who they played in their first couple of games or whatever but they looked okay right and then chandler morris actually got hurt and they put in max duggan and they have been like a hundred and fifty thousand percent better with max duggan in than they were with chandler morris so it's one situations where they almost got lucky that the you know the, the quarterback they chose to start the games and start the season got hurt and they kind of replaced him with a backup who ended up being way better than the, than the starter you know kind of in the first place so and then on the other side of the, the other side of the coin you have Spencer Sanders the quarterback for Oklahoma State who is another like Sean Clifford been in college football for 80 million years so far and it's kind of going to be like okay well he and he's just been so inconsistent Hayden can relate to everything that I say in regard to this. Cause it's just like, he always, it always seems like he takes one step forward and two steps back because he'll have a game where he'll throw for 400 yards and six touchdowns. He'll follow up with a game for like, with like 97 yards and three picks. And it's like, come on, dude, can we just get some sort of consistency here? So we need to see something out of Spencer Sanders against a TCU team that is very quality and going to score a lot of points. We need to see him be able to score with TCU. I don't think he's going to be able to, I think he's going to, you know, for as much as TCU doesn't really care about defense, they can take advantage of Spencer Sanders trying to force throws, trying to, you know, bring his team back if they get down early. And, and I think that the sky is the limit here for this TCU team. I, like I said, in the last podcast, I actually bet them that win the big 12 at 25 to one, like way back before the season when, Nobody even cared about. Nobody even thought they'd be good. Um, Oklahoma State has been one of the favorites to win the Big 12. They probably still are right now. The other thing, though, is, too, with this Oklahoma State team, they always find a way to win the close games. So I think there's a crazy – I don't know. I don't even want to pull up the stat because it's, like, very complicated. But it's essentially, like – Nine of the last 11 games that are decided by three or fewer points, Oklahoma State has won like nine of the 11 games that have been decided by three, which is a crazy stat. But it's like also proof that, hey, in in close games, this Oklahoma State team somehow finds a way to do it, right? Like combination of offense and defense, they get it done. And so in, in a game like this where the projected score is, you know, TCU winning by four points, that's considered a close enough game to the point where Oklahoma State might be able to just kind of pull out some magic like they have been and actually get this thing done. I think the TCU is going to win this game. I think they're going to cover the spread uh, and they're going to be fine in this game. It's going to be a very, I think a big, a big step for kind of TCU on their way to, to hopefully, you know, being able to, to, to win the big 12 or at least, you know, continue their undefeated season and it'll kind of shake things up in the big 12 because Oklahoma state is the highest ranked team and they're, you know, the favorites to win and the big 12 and everything like that, but it's definitely gonna be a great game. And I, and I'm going to watch it because obviously I want to, because it's one of the three best games on the schedule this week. Uh, but give me TCU in this game. Hayden, what are you thinking? All right. Well, first of all, I want to point out that little not so fast, little uh, Lee Corso action on you here. I'm going to pull on you. Oklahoma State is 7-0 and against the spread in their last seven road games. So, I mean, that's, that's a little stat for it. I mean, it's it's no TCU. Like, they weren't playing TCUs. The TCU that we've seen this year so far, and obviously TCU is is a very good team so far this season. I, th- I mean, I think Oklahoma – I mean, Oklahoma State is ranked higher than them still, right? I think they're eight, and then, yeah. uh, then TCU is 13. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, technically, I mean, by the rankings, you would expect – Oklahoma State to at least maybe cover the spread, but again, it's only three and a half, and that's not that many points. With you know how many points are going to be scored in this game, I don't know if Matt mentioned it, but the projected point total for this game is sixty-eight points. So if you think about it, if it's even, that's thirty. That's thirty-four points each. Uh, I, I read something that said that like if there's one bet you want, to, which this might 
this might be one of Matt's bets, but if you want to take one bet this weekend, it's the over for this game because it's there. I think both teams, both teams average like 46.4 points this season, which is just an absurd number, which if you put those two numbers together, that's over 90 points. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there'll be 90 points scored in this game, but it's probably going to be over 68 if, if we're being honest. So that's, I guess that, that could be my betting lock. I don't usually give betting lots of the week, but there, there you go for mine. But yeah, I, I think that TCU will probably win this game as well, just because of the momentum that they have coming into this game. Like Matt said, Spencer Sanders, he's the, he's the worst quarterback of the two guys, Max Duggan and Spencer Sanders. Max Duggan has had kind of a, a Heisman campaign as well this season. I mean, we're talking about all these guys being, you know, have, having Heisman performances, but it's true. Like, if you have an undefeated team, one of your guys on your offense is probably going to be in the Heisman running or the Heisman talks. And so Max Duggan is, is that guy for, for TCU. He's a huge part of their offense. TCU also has, they have a pretty good defense this year too. I think it's like the 13th ranked overall defense, which that's also really good. Um, Oklahoma state's defense isn't as good this year as it was last year, but I don't know. There, there could be some, there could be some kind of, surprises here in this game but I, i'm probably going to stay safe with it and, and go tcu as well even taking the three and a half i think they're probably going to cover because they're at home and because they're coming off this hot streak so yeah matt do you want to go into are we going to go into the three other games or are we just going to kind of like gloss over them and maybe give our picks on them because yeah. yeah i'll kind of mention them really quick so the other kind of biggest one is going to be usc at utah uh utah as we know were the favorites to win the pac-12 coming in they've lost two games now and they haven't looked as good as we thought they were usc has blown everybody out of the water but not so fast here utah's actually favored by three and a half points and everybody's taking oh my gosh bet the house on usc i don't know i, I think that usc Despite blowing everybody out, they've they haven't played anybody really. And the teams that they have played, they've played at home. And so it's easier for you to win at home, or they have, you know, go to like Stanford, which doesn't have a home field advantage at all. This game's gonna be different. Utah plays amazingly when, when they're at home. They play different. I think Utah's gonna be up for this game. So don't be surprised to see a very big upset in the Pac-12 this week with Utah over USC. Also, one more thing about Utah is if you guys haven't heard about their helmets for this for this game it's actually a pretty cool story so i think it was last year that it was like two different occasions that they had two different players that were killed i I can't remember how but their names were ty jordan and aaron lowe and ty jordan was a running back and aaron lowe was a cornerback and so both of them unfortunately passed away last season but this saturday when they're at home they're going to be sporting some hand-painted helmets so they're I, i think it has their face it has i'm looking at a yeah so it has like a hand-painted drawing of both of these players on on either side of their helmet and they're all wearing and they're all hand-painted like they're it's probably going to be the greatest display of like uniform dedication ever i mean you see sometimes guys will like will wear like the number like the, the number stickers or the sticker numbers of a player who has died on that team previously on the back of their helmet like no these helmets were literally hand-painted by Whoever, whoever is like the saint that painted these helmets, took the time to paint these helmets. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's an incredible cause and be on the lookout for that because, and that, that'll probably give them some motivation too. I mean, like Matt said, they're really good at home. They're dedicating, get, dedicating these games to, you know, their former players who, who unfortunately aren't, aren't, you know, are no longer with us. And so it's just, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a very like strong emotional game for them. And so Hopefully that'll propel them to a win. I'm definitely rooting for them because of that. 
So, and I, I don't know. I mean, USC, they have everything to lose and Utah has nothing to lose at this point. So, right. Utah's four and two USC is six and zero. Utah has nothing to lose. They're playing at home. I think that it, I think that this line Utah being favored, it kind of makes sense because it's, it's, it's one of those kind of typical, this team has nothing to lose. This other team has everything to lose. Why not favor them? And they're at home. So yeah, that's, um, that's my take on it. The next one is going to be NC state versus Syracuse. That's a, that's a heck of a, a ranked run ranked matchup, right? You never thought you'd be saying that like five years ago. Story coming into this one is that NC State's one of the favorites to win the ACC this year. They have a really good team. They brought back almost everyone from a, like a thing a ten and two, nine and three team last year, something like that. And Syracuse has been one of the most surprising teams in the entire country. They're five and zero right now. They beat everyone they've played. They've had some miracle wins, uh, but they've gotten the job done nonetheless. They're playing at home, and the big key here: NC State's quarterback Devin Leary, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC, one of the best quarterbacks in the country uh, for that matter. He's out this game, so he got hurt in the last game against Florida State. He's not playing in this game. And as a result, Syracuse is favored by three and a half points. And another one where people are thinking, oh, NC State, one of the best teams in the ACC. Syracuse has gotten lucky up into this point. They're not going to win this game. They're favored to win. I, I think that they'll be able to pull it out. It just kind of depends on NC State's defense is actually really good. So kind of depends on how that matchup works. Syracuse offense versus the NC State defense. The last ranked versus ranked matchup is going to be Mississippi State, Mississippi State and Kentucky, not super great, but obviously you got two ranked teams in the SEC. It's always going to be a very entertaining game. Mississippi State, I think, is favored by six and a half. And, and Kentucky has, has been, I think, a little bit disappointing. They were a top 10 in the country at one point. Their quarterback, Will Levis, got hurt. He didn't play last game. They lost to unranked South Carolina. And so that kind of proves to you how much he really means to this team. But even when he does play, their offensive line hasn't looked as good. Their defense is letting up a lot of points. So I think Mississippi State's going to roll in this one uh, and Kentucky's going to be knocked out of the rankings and either, you know, Will Levis is either going to play or he's not. If he does, he's probably going to be a little bit hurt, but he's going to be going probably in the first round in in this year's upcoming NFL draft. And so he's kind of one of those business decision type of things where, hey, you know, if you go out there and play and you get hurt even more than you already are, might be costing yourself a couple million dollars come, uh, you know, come NFL draft time. So those are kind of the other two ranked versus ranked matchups. Um, definitely going to be an insane week, a week of college football. So hope you're uh, hope you're not doing anything this Saturday because you have plenty of time. You was sitting down on your couch and watch football all day long. All right. With that being said, let's move into our NFL topic. So the biggest and most talked about topic in the NFL right now, especially after this week, is the horrible roughing the passer calls that we've seen recently, a.k.a. the one that happened to Tom Brady against the Falcons and it I think he gave them an automatic first down late in the game and the Falcons could have won off of that if that wasn't called a roughing the passer it's just been ridiculous and so the NFL announced today that the rule will not be amended and calls will continue to be made at the referee's discretion now of course this also comes right after the the groundbreaking incident of of Tua Tagovailoa and his injury and a lot of people were complaining that okay well you know you got if you're going to protect these players like it's not only the NFL's fault and, and the doctor's fault and everything but it's also these roughing the passer calls where defensive guys are kind of like throwing quarterbacks to the ground and they're not really getting punished for it a lot of people were arguing that that's what happened to Tom Brady but a lot of other people were saying like well no I mean that's just how you tackle in football now it's, it's you're not really if you're if you're not making sure the guy goes to the ground he may not go to the ground now again t- Tom Brady's 45 years old so I mean if you if you wrap him up he's he's gonna go down but Right. We can't really be that nitpicky with it. So I'm going to ask this question to Matt. What's our read on the situation as a whole? Do we agree with these roughing the passer calls? Do we not agree? And how do we think it's going to affect the rest of the season? Well, the problem is 
everybody is contradicting themselves. Everybody's saying, I hate these roughing the passer calls. They, they you know, play football, right? It's it's a game. It's going to turn into flag football. We got Troy Aikman on the Monday night broadcast. Because that was the other thing, Hayden. It was the Tom Brady one. And then it was on Monday night. Derek Carr got tackled by Chris or got sacked by Chris Jones. And it was like a fumble recovery by the Chiefs and everything. Game-changing play. And then they throw the flag on Chris Jones. And they're literally, they're like asking for an explanation for it. And the ref goes, he hardly, or he, he like, you know, roughly put, Derek Carr in the tackle on the ground. And it's like, wait, so, so Chris Jones just made a football play. So he played the game of football and and that's why this was called back and the fumble didn't count all this stuff. And it's like, come on guys, what are we doing? But at the same time, all right, people, we kept, we, again, again, this happens all the time in the NFL. One thing happens and a week later, we're already past it because there's so much else going on. You can't contradict ourselves here. We can't be saying, throw you know throw out the referees. We need to change the rules. Everything is is horrible. We, you know, we, we can't even play football anymore. And then also have a primetime spot in which Tua Tagovailoa goes down to a hard hit, right, where the defensive lineman threw him to the ground, and then he ends up with brain damage, and and who knows when the next time he's going to play. And you know everybody's in the diet, and the Dolphins medical team is getting fired because of this. And oh well, these these we're going to make some brown, groundbreaking concussion, you know whatever it was like amending our concussion protocols and the blue tent, and whenever you go in there to the point where. In the Dolphins' last game against the Jets, Teddy Bridgewater, their backup quarterback, didn't even, like, I don't even, well, I don't want to say he didn't, you know, get a concussion, but, like, said to have injured, I think, his, his shoulder or something, and they just held him out for the rest of the game because they literally were scared that, like, if he goes in there and gets hurt again, it's going to be another Dolphins quarterback who ends up with, you know, in the hospital because he got a concussion. So at the end of the day, we can't say these calls are horrible. We have to, you know, we have to stop protecting the quarterbacks, but at the same time end up in a situation where, you know, the teams are at fault because they're letting their guy go out there, you know, when, when he already had a concussion and it's four days later. And if he gets one hard tackle, it's going to happen again. So that's kind of my, my whole thing with the situation is, and I, I don't really have any personal, you know, beliefs in here or anything. I do think that, you know, we have to be able to, we got to change the calls a little bit, like the whole body weight thing. I don't know. You know, it's one of the situations, the body weight rule where, you know, basically it's roughing the passer. If a defensive lineman tackles the quarterback to the ground and uses his body weight as like the whole, you know, the force upon which he dives on him after the play that was actually initiated because when the Packers are playing the Vikings, like four or five years ago, whatever um, Aaron Rodgers, that happened to him. And he like the defensive lineman, you know, put basically put his full body weight on, but he was leaning sideways. And so what happened, he broke his collarbone because of it. And he was out for the rest of the season. It was this huge thing. So, okay, we'll put that in the rule book. Right. So that won't happen anymore and it's like that's what ends up becoming a lot of this roughing the passer stuff where it's tough to tell if a guy's body weight is going to come down on a quarterback and also it's tough for the defensive lineman to like determine whether or not in in you know as fast as the NFL has played and in milliseconds be able to re- you know react and be like okay well hold on let me put my hands out now because I think that if I don't then I'll, my body weight will be gone and it's like dude this is too much for you to ask out of an athlete who is you know in his prime the best in the world at his position and you know in the game of football which is a dangerous and you know and violent game so I don't know where I really fall in this argument I just hate that the fact that people are like on at one week being like it's so horrible that they let Tua back out on the field we need to be calling penalties on these defensive linemen who are throwing these quarterbacks to the ground and making them, you know, sending them to the hospital. And then literally one week later being like the refs suck, the rules, you know, we're all girls now, you know, people can't play football like this anymore. And it's like, guys, we got to, we got to pick a side here. We can't be on both sides. So that's my thing. I'm not going to like choose a side. I think I just wanted to point out more so that we can't, we can't be contradicting ourselves literally one week after each other. And as for it'll affect the rest of the season, I think the NFL kind of took a stance here and they said, you know what? 
We're not making any changes to the roughing the passer calls. We're not going to risk anybody getting brain damage, which I think is probably the right call at the end of the day. Um, and, and if your team gets, you know, suffers one of these kind of unfortunate, bad roughing the passer calls, maybe they'll implement some sort of review system. I don't know. But as it stands right now, it seems like the NFL has made their decision. Yeah, it's it's really looking like it's going to become one of those targeting things because targeting used to not be a thing and it was only unnecessary roughness. And so if you I mean, if you hit like if you hit a blind blindside bot, if you hit a blindside block or if you hit like a defenseless receiver in the air or something like that, it would always be called unnecessary roughness. This was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know when the targeting call was implemented, like maybe six or seven years ago or maybe like seven or eight years ago it was, it was implemented. But it's, it's actually a fairly new thing for those football fans that aren't, you know, that don't go far back like we do. But yeah, I mean, it used to only be unnecessary roughness. And I feel like with these rushing, roughing the passer calls and everything like that, like targeting penalties can be reviewed. I think it might become, become that. And I th- I'm glad that Matt mentioned that because I wasn't even really thinking about that, but I do think that with how much complaints that, you know, the, the NFL and, and really college football as well are, are, are getting because of these roughing the passer. I don't, I don't think college football is much just because it's not as fast of a game, but I mean, yeah, the NFL in specific with as much complaints as they're getting from both sides, right. The hypocrisy that's going on in, in, you know, in the NFL fan base right now, I think what they're going to have to do is, is to try to appease everybody. They're just going to have to try. They're just going to have to implement reviews for, for roughing the passer calls for roughing the passer calls that are a little bit questionable. Now, again, that's super vague as well. I don't really know. Cause like there is some roughing the passer calls where you look at it and you're like, okay, that's definitely roughing the passer. Like the one that Matt was talking about uh, with Aaron Rodgers against the Vikings, when, that dude landed right on Aaron Rodgers like that. I agree that should be roughing the passer, but right. The whole using your body weight to sling the guy down. It's like, I mean, these guys are like, they're NFL players. They're big guys. It's I obviously they're getting tackled by other big, bigger guys, but it's, but I, to me, it's more of like a, yeah, you're defenseless in a way if, if you're a quarterback, but if you're getting slung to the ground, you have, I don't know. You you have more time to like brace yourself for the fall. That's at least that's how I look at it. I mean, I never right. I had like I think I had one roughing the passer penalty called on somebody that sacked or that tackled me after a throw in high school. I think there was one ever. And I honestly in other games, I don't think I ever called. I don't think I ever saw a roughing the passer called in any game except for when I was in the game and it happened to me. And so I don't know. It's 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 kind of tough to decipher. And obviously the the NFL is a very rough game, but that's how it is. Like, like Matt said, I mean, r- football is a rough sport. You can't really be penalizing guys for making a tackle using their body weight, because how else are you going to get the, how else are you going to get the guy down? Obviously you're, you're probably like a hundred pounds heavier than most of these quarterbacks as a defensive tackle or something like that. But you, I mean, you need to get them down some way and you need to get them down quick or else they're going to be able to get the ball out. So I just don't right. I'm kind of in the same position as Matt. I don't really know which side to take. I just do think that them implementing replay and, and video evidence and everything like that, that'll probably come into effect sometime soon, just because of how, how much banter there is going on regarding the whole situation. There we go. All right. Moving on to the last fun segment of the day. It's the ESPN notification nonsense. And this is the second iteration of this fun segment that we've done. And it's kind of based on a, a very specific type of thing. So again, 
if you don't know the story, the backstory is I, at some point along the way, signed up for some sort of notification system through ESPN. I have like all the sports, all my teams and everything that I get notifications for. But sometimes I get these random ones that just have, you know, no bolded headline, no breaking news, nothing. It just says ESPN and it just has a random message under it. And that random message is always something absolutely insane that should be talked about a lot more than it is and reported on everything. And it just, it just kind of sits there in your feed and then you just delete it. And it's like, what in the world is going on there? There have been crazier ones, but we got five today. Um, and, and some of them are a little bit kind of, you know, straightforward, but other ones are, are pretty interesting. So the first one here it ta- is talking about soccer, European soccer injuries across Europe's five major leagues, which I'm assuming is kind of each country, right? So you have the EPL in England, you have the, the French Premier League, the Italian and Spanish, whatever. Uh, so English, right, injuries across Europe's five major leagues rose by 20% last season and cost clubs over $543.1 million, according to a study, period. It's just like, wow, okay. And there's just nothing else. There's no reporting. There's not, it just sends that as a notification. And it's like, that's actually really interesting. Like I would want to read more about that, but it just kind of is sitting there and then I just delete it. And it's like, all right, well, I guess we're just going to theorize this about this now. All right. So this next one is about baseball. And this one kind of, kind of hits close to home for me, because if you guys don't know, I'm, I am not a fan of baseball at all. Like playoffs are going on right now and NBA and NHL are usually the sports that I don't really follow during the regular season, but then when it comes to playoff time, I'm all in MLB doesn't matter. Regular season playoffs. I, I don't really care unless it's like game seven of the world series. I'm not going to watch. And so this is, this one kind of is a little bit convincing for me, but again, it has no header. It has no alert emoji. It has no breaking news, bold font title above it. No, it just says pitch clocks cut average time of minor league games by 25 minutes this season down to two hours and 38 minutes minutes. Now, if a baseball game was two hours and 38 minutes, I may watch, I don't know. And I, I think that there, it says the, the pitch clocks in the minor league. So I, so I, I honestly don't even know. Is there a pitch clock? There, there is a pitch clock in major leagues, right? Uh, I don't think yet. Um, which is like, I think they announced that there will be, um, or there's some sort of like, kind of like a, like an unwritten rule type of thing yeah. where it's like, you can't really take over like 30 seconds or whatever it may be. But yeah, the point of this, and and I mean, if, if this makes Hayden more happy about watching baseball, it's fine, but it's like, what? Okay. 25 minutes per game. That's not really that much longer. And it only cuts it down to two hours and 38 minutes. Like what? Yeah. I know a football game is, you know, three hours, but it's like entertaining the entire time. And it's like, right. baseball's already boring enough. And it's like, you're only getting rid of 25 minutes on average per game like with game time being over three hours. I think that's probably the thing is that the game time is over three hours. The game time in football is like, is three hours, but that's including your, your commercials and your halftime and everything like that. It's like three over three hours of game time in baseball. Come on, dude. So the next one here is also about baseball. It's a little bit on a sadder note, but just kind of like one of those things. If you were paying attention a couple of years ago, you saw this happen. And then now this is kind of the closure on it. So ex angels employee, Eric K was sentenced to 22 years in prison for the role in the death of Tyler Skaggs. He was a pitcher for the Angels, and he was actually pretty good. He died, I think, probably literally probably four or five years ago at this point, um, in an overdose of some sort. But it was like extremely sudden. Nobody knew about it. Nobody even. It was like it, it was like this weird situation where like everybody was hearing about it, but then people were like, "Oh, well, you know, what to do in his personal time?" And he wasn't really like friends with anybody on the team, I think. And it was just kind of this weird, probably a mental health type of deal. But 
completely out of the blue. It turns out though, this guy, Eric K, I think was either prescribing him the medicine or telling him to take or convincing him. I don't know exactly what happened, but either way, that was kind of the conclusion of this whole story, which had a lot of mystery to begin with. And is now kind of, we, we had the answer here that like this guy, I guess was behind it all and, and whatever he was supplying the guy with, and that's what happened. And, and so, you know, here we go. But I just, I know kind of, that was another thing where I was like, got that. And I was like, Oh, this thing that happened five years ago, well, we're not, nobody else really hears about it, but I got this new PSPN notification. So we're at least putting it out here now. <laughs> All right. Next, uh, moving on to the next one. Next one is Todd Martin resigns as CEO of international tennis hall of fame, which is kind of a big deal. And my, like, I, I mean, obviously you probably didn't know who Todd Martin was before I said his name. And if you, if I didn't say that he resigned as the CEO of international tennis hall of fame, like you wouldn't know that that happened, but, but it's, but again, it's just like this guy, I mean, the international tennis hall of fame, I feel like hey, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know who the CEO of the NFL hall of fame in Kenton, Ohio is, but still like if he resigned, I'd be like, well, dang, that's kind of a big deal. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't know who they like, do they have power over who can get inducted and stuff like that? I don't know, but it's, yeah, that's, I don't know either, Hayden, but we would know if we had something else here associated with this. This is all it said. It just said Todd exactly. Martin resigns as CEO of International Tennis Hall of Fame. That's all it said. Like, we have nothing else to go off of. That's the funny part about this whole deal. Um, my, my commentary was going to be that I would love to have uh, Todd Martin's job because it sounds like he was probably getting paid a boatload of money to not do too much. So uh, I, I would uh, I would trade. I would take up the job of CEO. I, Todd, hey, Todd, 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 buddy, Todd. I'll take you. I'll take your job. All right. I'll do it. I, I got you. Um, the last one here is about college football. It's very exciting. It's very exciting news. The ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips, another job that I would much, yes. very much envy for. Uh, Jim Phillips tells ESPN, quote, there's a lot of push to expand the college football playoff in 2024, end quote. We're going to leave it on that. This episode was about college football. We have an amazing weekend in college football coming up this, you know, this weekend, obviously. Uh, and this is very good news for college football when it comes to any type of playoff scenario where any team can win it. The underdogs getting a chance expansion. Everything is good about this news and college football is alive and well. So I'm happy about it. Or the, the first thing I thought about when I saw this notification or this, this sentence was like of all of the conferences, you like the ACC commissioner says this, it's like, dude, you haven't had a team in the play. Well, you, I mean, obviously Clemson, like, I don't know, four or five years ago, last time that an ACC team was in the play, was in the playoff. But it's like, I mean, I would expect maybe like an SEC or like a Big Ten commissioner to say this, but it's like the ACC commissioner, dude, like the ACC sucks. Come and on. the ACC has the worst television deal in the history of ever. And if you were listening to our uh, NCAA Doomsday podcast uh, series that we did in the summer, you know that the television deal is the big moneymaker for these conferences and these schools. And the ACC basically signed their life away for basically being paid like a quarter of what they should for the next literally, I think till 2020, 2036, I think is when they're competent. It's like, what are we doing? So yeah, not only are we, you know, kind of a random conference here, don't, don't have much representation in the college football playoff, but also this guy's kind of bad at negotiating. So who knows if this actually, this, this whole 12 team thing is going to, is going to actually expand by 2024. All right, Matt, let's get into your betting locks of the week. The first one. Oh, well, Recap of last week. Don't want to talk about it for too long. I went 0-2, so we're 1-4 uh, in the season. Guys, I know. I start slow, all right? But we got to get into the rhythm here. We got to get into the rhythm. We're going to do that now. Um, the first one is about a game that we talked about earlier in this podcast. It is TCU laying the three and a half against Oklahoma State. 
I just think that they have the momentum. They're the better team. The, Oklahoma State hasn't really proved much so far this season. They're on the road. They're coming to TCU. I think TCU is going to really prove to the nation who they are and how they play football, which is at a very high level, and it's all good there. So later points with TCU. My NFL pick is the Packers. They're my team. So, yes, you can call me a homer, but they're playing the Jets at home after they lost inexplicably to the Giants in that London game last week. The Jets had their Super Bowl season win against the Miami Dolphins, beating them by like 30 points. It's an all it's an it's an amazing spot for the Packers right now. They're at home after a loss. The Jets are coming to Lambeau after a big win. The Jets defense is bad. The Packers defense is going to be able to lock up Zach Wilson no matter what he does. I think it's seven right now, seven and a half maybe. Uh, we're going to call it seven, but if you can see seven and a half, take that as well because I think the Packers are going to crush this game. Like, just think about just think about what Aaron Rodgers is thinking right now. Like how upset he is with how that game turned out against the Giants. He has the chance to beat the other New York team at home this week. It's going to be a bloodbath for the New York Jets. Already, well there you go. Hopefully, I don't know, I mean I said this last week and I mean hopefully hopefully it'll go our way this week. Maybe maybe just a little one and one action. I don't know. I don't know. I mean that would that would be at least better than that one too. <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. I do think I those sound juicy to me. I mean, again, I say that mostly every time you give one, but all right, it just hasn't hasn't gone our way this year. But with that being said, that will uh, that will end off the episode. As always, it's it's great to end off an episode with Matt's betting locks. So you guys are are leaving here with some some you know some with some, with, with a chance to make money, also a chance to lose money. But <laughs> that's up to you. But yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We we really appreciate it. We will be back on, I'm assuming, Monday, Monday or Tuesday, one of those days. And, uh, yeah, we will be back with our NFL and college football Saturday preview. I mean, review. That'll probably be a really fun episode because we'll have all that college football to talk about and obviously NFL too. But we might go a little college football first if these games are as good as they're hyping it up to me. We, we may go a little college football first and then NFL two episodes in a row. How about that? I think that's a, that's, that's a pretty good proposition there. But yes, thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you guys next week.